Hello, friends, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm Joe Webb. And I'm Brandon Wood. And this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, all of us who are looking for faith beyond the confines of institutional religion. So thanks so much for joining us. This is episode number 42 of the podcast. It is the 17th episode of season two. So it's Pride Month here at Accidental Tomatoes. We're um, releasing these episodes in June of 2021. And um, our next Pride Month guest um, is my friend Sam Blewis. Uh, Sam and I met um, through some groups that we're involved in together online. And uh, I think you're going to really enjoy... Um, what she has to say about our topic for this episode, which is neighboring. And she's going to unpack some of what that means uh, as we get into the interview. Brandon, unfortunately, unfortunately, we had to, we had to do this interview without you, man. You had, um, I know that you kind of had a thing, right? The day before, uh, you know, we had a, we had a baby in uh, during pandemic and uh, he was nursing the day before and bit Anna multiple times so all I heard while I was working uh, from home that I get the privilege of doing was tears and screams um, all day the day before we recorded. So the next day I thought for sure it was going to happen again and didn't want to have that in the background. Yeah. And uh, uh, luckily it didn't happen as much. It happened a little bit, but we were so exhausted that all of us pretty much slept the next day. I want to give a shout out real quick in our intro to Joe um, coming from a, a world where family wasn't important or prioritized. Joe, thank you so much for um, your message was, dude, I always prioritize family over anything. So you need to take the day. You take it. I got this. So, Joe, thank you. That meant a lot to me and my healing heart. <laughs> <laughs> so um, and as, as someone who missed this interview but got to listen to the rough of it, it is phenomenal. So please give a warm welcome to Sam Lewis. Uh, whereas with Front Porch, we're like, no, 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 being a neighbor means that black lives matter it means that all means all uh and it means that we have to live that out right like we have to do the things that match the things that we say we believe like we think that is neighboring hello friends and welcome again to another episode of the accidental tomatoes podcast and i'm really excited to introduce you to our guest for this episode uh samantha blewis sam blewis um is doing some really interesting things in the world uh, around the concept of neighboring. And and we're going to unpack what all of that means. Um, but Sam, welcome to Accidental Tomatoes. I'm thrilled to have you with us today. Thanks so much, Joe. I'm excited to be here. My name is Sam Blewis, uh, officially Samantha Blewis. I'm fine with either, but uh, most people call me Sam and my pronouns are she, her, and I am a church planter and uh uh, my official title is about to become a uh, pastor to the neighborhood Nice uh, here in uh, Mountain View, California. So right in the middle of Silicon Valley, uh, there's a lot of fascinating things. Like I'm in the same place that Google is. And so kind of living in that world. And yeah, it's that's the so best. cool. Pastor to the neighborhood. Like it, the, honestly, that's a very Methodist thing to be, but we don't, we don't even really do that as well within our own structure as, as we probably should. Well, yeah, I think churches became uh, very much these things like you seek out the church you want to go to. 
um, and you go there to the best church or the church that fits you most. Uh, and really my idea is, uh, I don't care if people go to church or not, I'm still their pastor if they're yeah, in my neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's, I'm probably getting ahead of myself. Here, that's John, okay. So that's sorry. okay. But like, for example, uh, there's a family that lives right around the corner from us. And so we've interacted with them and their dogs and they like help keep an eye on our kids when our kids are running away. Uh, and her dad fell and went to the hospital. And so she came by my house to ask me if I could pray for him. Now, these are not people who go to church, right? Yeah. But they know that I am a person they can count on uh, to stand in that space for them. And that's really, you know, that's kind of part of yeah, the idea, yeah. right? Is that it is uh, a pastor for people who don't necessarily go to an established right, church. Right, And I, it's interesting in um, in some of the conversations we've had, you know, in other contexts and some of the the things I've seen you post and 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 there so on. You, you use this term neighboring as a verb, and and I, I'd like to unpack yes. that a little bit because I think that is um, a really interesting concept. So, what do you mean when you talk about the act of neighboring? Yeah, we call it the sacred act of neighboring. In that, like, anytime you are neighboring, you are doing something that is. Um, a part of something bigger than yourself, which is a part of God's work. And so when we say neighboring as a verb, what we mean is really that uh, you are doing things that uh, establish sustained connections of mutual care, or um, you are finding ways to be radically compassionate, um, or you are taking meaningful risks for the good of uh, somebody else. And so all of those things, I think, make up neighboring. Uh, really, I think in like a traditional church context, they would call that discipleship. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I really think this idea of neighboring makes a little more sense. So particularly here in Silicon Valley, it's not that people are like, oh, I hate church. It's that people are like, well, I've never yeah, been to church no... and I don't know why I would yeah. go to church. So those words that we're so used to using, I think in for people who have been in church, they don't make sense to other people. And so I think neighboring is our way of capturing kind of the essence of discipleship, uh, but using a language that makes more sense yeah. to people. Oh, man, there's so much to get into with that. Um, one of the things, and I've talked about this on the on the podcast before, in my own kind of deconstruction and reconstruction process and, and the several waves of that that sort of take place. Um what recently one of the pla things I've been deconstructing is language um, and specifically how kind of church language or religious language is more of a barrier to people than, than it is helpful. Um, and so I love kind of taking a, a concept like discipleship, which is a perfectly good word to use within a religious context, um, but it doesn't mean anything to people who don't have you well, know that exposure, right? And I have the benefit of my wife having never been to church before she met wow. me. Um, in fact, I was saying like, oh, well, you know, the story of the Good Samaritan. And she said like, what? And I was like, you know, the story of the Good Samaritan. And she said, I know what a Good Samaritan is. It's like a person who does something nice for somebody or helps somebody. But 
what story are you talking about? Because she did not know it was a story from the Bible because she didn't grow yeah, up yeah. in a church context. And she still does not identify as Christian. She thinks like the values that Jesus held and preached about, she thinks those are incredibly important and she can get on board there. And she thinks the idea that a fella rose from the dead is crazy. In fact, sometimes she'll be like, I'm just checking in. You think he actually rose from the dead i'm like yeah yeah no i believe that and she's like okay and you know that sounds crazy to me i'm like yep <laughs> i know that right but what it means is i have this constant kind of companion to be like so those words you're using don't mean anything to people who aren't in yeah letters. that's so it's this like voice that understands how that sounds on people's ears who haven't been inside the that's system. so helpful because we so often we have that echo chamber um, within the institutional totally. church, and we're like, "Oh, that sounds yeah. awesome!" Like, and it, and it's not. It's we're not always trying to be assholes, right? We just come across right, that. No. Way. Our goal, <laughs> right? Uh, we have the best of intentions. We just suck. <laughs> oh man, but but a lot, you know. Thank thankfully, some of us are trying to do better, and uh, and yeah, uh, so heck yeah. It, yeah, so um, going back to that term, uh, neighboring. The other thing that that struck me in that as you were sort of defining that is it, it really, to me, it implies a level of authentic friendship, you know? Yes. So what we talk about is like, not just relationships, but authentic, vulnerable yeah, relationships. Yeah. Like it takes a long time, but we think that you ought to be engaging in that work with the people you live around. And like, we hope it also carries into your workplace and carries in, but people talk about how in Silicon Valley, there are so many places where you have to wear a mask, right? You may run into a potential employer downtown while you're out to eat. In fact, I have a guy uh, who's a friend of mine who like a hundred percent found his new job uh, in tech because he ran into an old friend on the street. And so people feel like they are constantly kind of putting on this professionalism mm. and putting on this uh, kind of performative, not in a bad right, way right, performative, right. but like professionalism. Yeah, yeah. And so it feels like there's not space to take that down and relax and be kind of authentically in relationship. And so really we think that neighboring is about letting that down and being in authentic relationship. That's so cool. So how, so what does that look like for your faith community, right? So you've got a faith community that's um, Front Porch Mountain View. Is that is that the right name? So I, I love that name. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that idea of the of the front porch just invites um, neighborliness, you know, just kind of right off the bat. But so when, when you're talking about being intentional though, about neighboring, what does that look like for for your community and your context? Totally. So, I mean, one of the things is we are involved in a thing called Project Cornerstone. Uh, it is so the elementary schools uh, have people come in and read to kids and help them learn social emotional learning. Um, we identified the middle school as the place where kids and families are having some of the hardest yep. times they <laughs> go through. And so uh, at the middle school, I get well, this year has been weird. Uh, because it's all been online. But so every Tuesday afternoon, I've been teaching along with the school counselor, a social emotional learning. It's opt in. So we have about 10 kids who come, but we just cover things like you are valuable just because you are. And um, 
you know, I think the last time I taught, we do a rotation, but the last time I taught, I was talking about like how your identity, however that is, is great. And the people around you's identity is great. So I'm like with these sixth graders talking about like LGBTQ uh, plus persons being full persons and the ways we can make it more comfortable for them, you know, and <laughs> the funny thing is like, I'm working with these sixth graders and they're so far ahead yeah. of us, right? They are like, oh yeah, like we should definitely share our pronouns because that would make people who might have unconventional pronouns feel more comfortable. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you guys get it. So keep doing that. Um, but having a place to explicitly talk about this social emotional learning. So that's kind of one of the things we think is part of the sacred act of neighboring, right? We think this neighboring is building these relationships with these kids and their families and helping them to, you know, become emotionally mature is a way of like attending to their spiritual needs as yeah. well. You know, we do, we, uh, it's a public school. So you know, I, I am never one to kind of push like religious things on public school. I, I don't, I don't have a problem with not doing that, but we do teach mindfulness and centering and these things make up prayer. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, without saying prayer, we're teaching them what it looks like to take time to be with yourself. Right. Which is also time with God. And so uh, it's it's really kind of great. Uh, some of the other things, were, so <laughs> we uh, sponsor coffee on us on Sunday mornings. So I prepay for coffee at a local coffee shop that is beloved. I say I pay for it. Like I'm dishing out the money. I'm not. <laughs> uh, front porch <laughs> pays for coffee uh, at Red Rock, which is just a, a Mountain View establishment. And so I drop about $200 on a gift card on a Sunday morning. And then any time between 10 and 12, people can pick up a cup of coffee um, that's prepaid and then they can come meet us in the park or they can just grab a cup of coffee. And so we have space for people to kind of meet neighbors and establish and start those connections. Um, and that's really exciting. Pre-pandemic, we were getting together for meals every oh, Sunday okay. evening. Uh, and, you know, I'm hoping to... Uh, re-engage with that as soon as we can um we're starting small i'm having neighbors over for dinner on sunday evenings just to kind of be like okay let's just spend yeah. some time together establishing those connections so we use the words like connection compassion courage and we want to kind of make sure we are attending to all of those pieces of the wheel right uh connection and then acts of compassion like for example um Rise Against Hunger is an organization that right. packs meals that go around to uh, developing countries to feed kids. And so we participated in that on Saturday evening um, as a way of kind of being intentional and compassionate. We have uh, actually at the campus where we used to meet <laughs> before the pandemic, um, there is uh it's called Hope's Corner and they do showers for folks and they do meals for folks. And so, you know, we try to be engaged with that. And uh, my wife works for uh, CHAC Family Resource Center. So CHAC is Community Health Awareness Council. And so her focus is on like helping zero to five year old kids and their parents 
with kind of developmental things. And so like I do musical Monday on Mondays and it's just like a time for the kids to sing and play and read. Um, and so like providing those kinds of opportunities. So there's a lot of partnership yeah, yeah. that goes into this, right? Like I partner with Red Rock. I partner with um, different with Chack because, you know, it really is supposed to be a neighboring feel. And these are people in our neighborhood. Wow. That, I, that it's, it's such an organic form of spirituality that what, that's what really, uh, I think attracts me to the idea of it is it's there's, there's, you know, in the church where spiritual formation is something that, that we try so hard to contrive for people. And and it's, you know, it's always going to be up to the the individual person how much or little they decide to engage with that and how deep they decide to go. Um, but, it, but it feels like this neighboring approach just creates this space where through authentic relationships and, and, and vulnerable friendships, these conversations begin to happen. And, they're, and it sounds like they're happening in the context of things that are good for our community, right? Um, right. So we really want the neighborhood to be transformed because we are being yeah. intentional about coming together around it. And I mean, we also have uh, systems that help that are that are intended to help people grow spiritually, right? So, um, and, and these have kind of gotten uh, put off uh, because of COVID. But you know, once you are kind of connected to the community, uh, we hope you will do this thing. We so <laughs> front porch is all based on Wesley's house metaphor. So John Wesley, um, who's kind of the founder of Methodism talked about the front porch is the place where grace comes out to meet us. We don't have to do anything for it. It comes out and meets us on the front porch. And that's really the idea of front porches. It is a space where you can receive that grace, even if you don't even know yeah. what it is. And then we have crossing the threshold, which uh, is, is like, you know, when you're walking into the house and that's like six weeks with me where we talk about what it looks like to intentionally kind of care for one another in community, what it looks like to share space uh, in a kind of intentional uh, small group setting uh, and kind of practice that together for six weeks and talk about kind of the values of front porch. You know, we are, we talk about mutual hospitality. Like there are a lot of churches who have hospitality teams and I think that's great. I think it's great to be hospitable, but what we say is like, we want, mutual hospitality it's not just like we are welcoming you we expect that when you come in you will also be welcoming yeah. us um and that we will be kind of doing that together when we were doing dinners uh nothing was set up when people came we set up the tables together uh and we took down the tables together because we were practicing what it looked like to do that uh in our everyday lives so that's you know crossing the threshold kind of talks about those values and uh we practice small group life together and then we hope people join a house group uh which is uh, you know john wesley said that sure you have this grace that meets you out front and then you have this grace that like helps you understand that even though you're never going to get it right uh god is with you no matter what and then you go into the house and you spend the rest of your life in this grace that 
helps you explore the house and be like, oh, I didn't know this closet was there. What's in there? You know, in your own life, in your own spiritual journey. And so the idea is really that these house groups will help you be a part of kind of reflecting on your own life, but also being present for other people to reflect on their own lives. And so it really is, you know, there are those kind of intentional spiritual development systems uh, there, but we hope that the way you get there is organically yeah. by kind of having these conversations around what it looks like yeah. to neighbor. And, and there again, I really love that you're using non-churchy language, you know, I mean, outside of the word grace, you know, um, which I mean, yeah, it's a churchy word. I'm not sure there's a better word, <laughs> you know, for, for what that, for what that means, but, um, it's it's so non-intimidating, right? It's it's so accessible to people, yeah. and uh, and I you know as as a, as a died in the wool Wesleyan, I just, I love that model um, for for sort of those um, aspects of grace that get played out um, in community. So well, um, you know, I, I I guess you know context is one of those things that we know is really really important in whatever kinds of communities we're forming. So, you know, you're in Silicon Valley. That's, that's a very, I mean, it, it is in itself a unique context and I'm sure there's a lot of subcontext even within that. So tell us about some of the context of your community and how that informs and impacts um, the neighboring work that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, we are where Google is uh, and Apple and all these different uh, tech companies. And so in a lot of ways, one, we have to be prepared to have kind of a transient community uh, because a lot of folks come in, get great jobs here. And then they're like, okay, great. Now I've gotten a great job. I've saved up some money. I'm going to go somewhere else. Um, the cost of living is crazy yeah. high. Um, so I'm in a, a parsonage, a house uh, that a church owns, uh, where a pastor can live. And it's a $2 million home. It is just a normal house. Yeah. Right. But here in Silicon Valley, it's $2 million. So that context, the cost of living plays into a lot of things. A lot of the ways we are trying to be present with people who maybe, uh, the cost of living is prohibitive for this area and for people for whom it's not prohibitive for them, but that means they have the means to help people uh, who can't afford yeah. to live here. And so I think that plays into um, a lot of the kind of contextual ideas. It's a super progressive area, uh, which is the best. It means that, um, you know, I worry a little less. I mean, I still worry about my kids. So I am a, I'm a foster parent and I have, uh, I've been a parent for two years and I have a 15 year old, a 16 year old and a 19 year old. Uh, You're doing it backwards. And, Sam. <laughs> and everybody in our household identifies as queer in one way or another. And so to have, to be in an area where we know that that is less um, kind of stigmatized yeah. is great. I mean, don't get me wrong. We also like, I've had to fight with uh, school officials for my uh, child to like have gender affirming spaces or uh, 
you know, to make sure we are being like accepting. I had a had a, a school official tell me like, well, you have to know that like people are going to be uncomfortable with your lifestyle. Um, that told me and my wife that, and I was like, what do you mean? Like that we're no, it turns out they meant uh, that we're uh, lesbians. Well, my wife's not a lesbian, but that's neither <laughs> here nor there. Um, but, you know, it's just like stuff you're like, oh, I thought we were past that here. We're not. Got it. Um, that's surprising that, you know, there are still to think yeah. of it, even in a really progressive Crazy. community that there's still that kind of stigma. To, I mean, thank God you're not in West Virginia and have to face some of the crap that, you know, that that our yeah, kids here do and our family. I was in Alabama. Oh, so you get it. So yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I was in Alabama before I moved here. Um, I was actually ordained in the Alabama West Florida Conference. Okay. Of the United Methodist Church. So um Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was wild. But so yeah, so it is nice to have a more progressive place. There are definitely kind of the there so there's Mountain View is crazy because there's this like established Mountain View that wants to be its older homeowners. Um primarily white uh, who really like want this to be a nice place and want us to do something about the RVs parked everywhere um, because people can't afford to live in homes. So they uh, rent yeah. RVs. Um, and then there's another like progressive kind of younger side. That's like, Oh no, like we should just let these people live their lives and we should figure it out. Um, and so it is interesting to see the way those two, kind of sides of mountain view uh yeah. interact that's an interesting it's all way more progressive than the south yeah. right so like even the like old uh white homeowners are more progressive than like old white homeowners in right, Montgomery, right, Alabama. Yeah. but there's it's still like i'm like they're like well they're liberal but not progressive right they're like oh yeah yeah no we think that's important not in my backyard. No. Yeah. It's one of those like privilege intersections, I guess, um, where you, you can hold liberal slash progressive ideas and yet you still want to normalize your own experience uh, and impose that on everyone else. Right. Uh, whereas with Front Porch, we're like, no, no, no. Being a neighbor means that Black Lives Matter. It means that all means all. Uh, and it means that we have to live that out, right? Like we have to do the things that match the things that we say yeah. we believe. Yeah. That's, I just, like we think that is neighboring. I, I just read somewhere yesterday, I think it was in a tweet or something yesterday that just a, a phrase that really struck me that what it, for, for folks who are trying to be allies, whether it's, you know, in the LGBTQ spaces or in um, racial spaces or wherever that is, like to to be an effective ally necessitates relinqu relinquishing your privilege. Um, it it just does. You it, but to relinquish it, you have to recognize it, and, and that's that's the the big thing that I find in our area is just getting people to recognize that because their experience seems normal for this place we live in it's still really excluding a lot of people from the benefits of our society. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Mountain View is very white. Um, there's, there's a significant Asian population and there's also, there's a significant um, 
Latinx population, but the Latinx population is hidden. The uh, census numbers are underrepresented uh, as as often sure, happens yeah. uh, for the Latinx community because people are like scared of people coming to their door asking yeah, questions, yeah. right? And so, um, but it's going to take some real intentionality to drop privilege and allow other folks to lead. And so I get, I get to live in this space where as a queer lady with queer kids, I get to lead in some ways, but I'm also, I'm super white in ways that, uh, that I've really got to relinquish some privilege. Um, I mean, my kids joke. So of my kids are 19 year old is a uh, first generation Vietnamese. So she speaks great Vietnamese. It's so fun. Uh, we we're convinced that the dog doesn't speak English, but the dog does <laughs> speak Vietnamese. Cause when she yells at the dog in Vietnamese, the dog's like, okay, you're right. I'll drop it. <laughs> um, uh, and then our 16 uh, year old uh, comes from a Mexican family and our 15 year old, uh, is half black, half white. And so, uh, you know, we're just in this place where we are, my wife and I are constantly having to check our privilege as white ladies because just the way I am, and she's better than I am, uh, the way I am is often just so seeped in uh, unintentional but very present white supremacy, mm, yeah. right? And I have to be like, oh yeah, oh I think that because I'm a white lady, got it, got it, got it. And it's like, don't get me wrong, it pisses me off every time my 15 year old says, "You just think that because you're white." I'm like, oh whatever. Like, also yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. You know, like <laughs> I'm like, uh, I've worked really hard not to respond to him uh, when he says that because, like, most most of the time, yeah. he's right. And so I have to like receive that, be quiet, and then like process it on my own when, you know, I'm not putting the burden on right. him to yeah. process it for and me. That, I mean, that that takes some time, right? I mean, it's it, it doesn't happen oh, yeah. overnight. And yeah, at the same time, um, there's, there's a saying, you know, that um, justice delayed is justice denied. And, and so we have to like, oh, yeah. we have to figure out what, how we're going to exist in that tension between trying to learn better and and therefore do better and and do it in a way that doesn't delay and deny justice for another person and like it's it's not so, easy work but it may be the most necessary work of our generations i think yeah, yeah. and don't get me wrong some of the things he says he says because he's a 15 year old boy and he's sure yeah himself, like but like have a smart mouth uh like uh so for we do a, a book club where we're intentionally reading uh books by black indigenous people of color queer folks um folks who are differently abled or some intersection of that um and so for february since it was black history month i was like oh okay um we're gonna read why are all the black kids uh, sitting together in the cafeteria uh, which by the way phenomenal uh highly recommend um, and he was like, or for Black History Month, you could uh, read something that's like celebrates Black folks. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're also doing um, like Black fiction in March. 
right? But you know, he was he's always ready to uh ready to come at me. Uh, <laughs> you know, though we need we need teenagers in our lives to challenge us and keep us on our toes. Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah. Because like I do need that voice, yeah. right? Like I do need that push. And so even, no, even though it pisses great. you off in the moment, right? Like, <laughs> But I am, I am sometimes like, I already thought of that. (laughs) But he, he also like, he thinks he knows everything. Because he's 15. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I I raised two daughters. I, I remember those days. Mine, mine are both grown now and um, they don't think they know everything anymore, but they did for a minute there. (laughs) Well, and my wife and I are pretty, uh, we're phenomenal foster parents. Um, and we are pretty committed to doing this for a long, long time. And so I'm just going to have kids who know everything in my house for the next, you know, 30, 40 years. Yeah. So I just should be used <laughs> to it. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but I wanted to take just a minute to thank some of the folks that help us make the Accidental Tomatoes podcast happen through our Patreon giving platform. For as little as $2 a month, you can be part of a growing group of people who are committed to helping create and curate all the great content for the Accidental Tomatoes community. We're grateful for the contributions of all of our patrons, and I'd like to recognize our master gardener-level contributors, Jen and Harry Morgan, and Kevin and Heather Malcolm. To learn more about how you can support this podcast and the community we're creating, just go to patreon.com slash accidentaltomatoes. You can also support our work by simply leaving us a rating and review on your favorite streaming app. That helps other folks find our community and participate in the conversation. And now, back to the podcast. You know, I I think that all ties into this idea of neighboring. I mean, to me, and and we talked a little bit about this um, before we, um, you know, started the interview, but like just the act of fostering is an act of neighboring, right? It, it's something that helps people in your community and, and maybe not even just directly the kids that you're fostering, but it, you know, can you talk a little bit about how that impacts the, the broader community? Yeah. Well, you know, for my wife and I, we kind of said like, it's all the things we care about combined. Right. Um, so people of color are disproportionately affected by the, the foster system. Yeah. Right. Uh, kids who are white, are not removed at the rate as kids who are black. And part of that is because um, black families don't have the same advantages uh, as white families. And so they don't have the same resources. And so things, you know, are under higher pressure. And part of that is our system is so racist that when uh, people come into a white home with white parents and white kids and there's some stuff off, they're like, well, this is not good. Um, but we'll work with the family to to get them there. When they come into a black family, it becomes a narrative of like, oh, they can't care for their kids. We're going to take yeah. them. Right. And so there are ways that the system is so, uh, how much cussing do we do on as this? As much as you podcast? want, it's fine. The system is so fucked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. So it's, you know, we really, uh, care about these things and you know people say like i want to do something about homelessness then become a foster parent right because something like some crazy statistic of kids uh, who are in the foster system become immediately homeless when they become when they turn 18 um and so this is a way that we are 
you know, a part of this community, you know, because these kids are a part of our community. These kids are our neighbors. And so if we are not like with them, then what are we doing? Like people are like, oh, you're so brave. And they are so lucky to have you. First of all, if you're listening to this, just know, never ever tell a foster parent that their kids are so lucky to have them because, and definitely don't tell the kids that they're yeah. lucky to have their foster parents because if the kids were lucky, they their family of origin would have been equipped to care for them, mm. right? And so we have the privilege of getting to be the next best thing, right? We are never going to be what that family of origin could have been. But we can care for these kids who have been tossed around because they deserve it, right? We have this, uh, we call it No Empty Rooms. It's actually our new, uh, well, it's my wife's company, but I'm tagging along. I, I said, she said, do you want to be a part of the company? I said, like, yes, can I be vice president? <laughs> um, so I'm vice president. It's called No Empty Rooms. And our, you know, we're in this parsonage, in this $2 million home in Silicon Valley that is, uh, well, don't tell Zillow, but it's four bedrooms. Zillow thinks it's three bedrooms. I'll take it. Um, but, uh, well, it was three bedrooms in an office. And one week before shelter in place started, uh, <laughs> we ended up turning that office into <laughs> another bedroom. Uh, not great timing, uh, but this kid needed a home. It, you know, the other thing is, like, we talk about disproportionate uh number of people of color being affected it's also a disproportionate number of queer yeah, kids yeah. that end up in the foster system or end up homeless or both um i mean which is why we focus on teenagers right uh you know there are a lot of more evangelical churches and i don't want to the word evangelical is so loaded yeah but painting painting with broad another strokes thing for an- right? <laughs> another thing for another time. right um there are a lot of evangelical churches that are not affirming of queer folks that are very involved in foster care, which like, I'm not asking them to not be because we need them because there's so many kids who need care and a loving home. But what happens is they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. But like, no, you can't be gay. And so these kids who just need a place to land don't even have that. And so we, that's really why our focus is teens is because nobody takes teens. You know, I think there's something like eight homes in our whole county. We have a huge county and there's like eight foster homes that'll take teens. Uh, And we know three of them, right? Um, (laughs) And it's just, everybody in these kids' lives has given up on them, right? Um, Over and over and over again. In fact, what I say about Front Porch is, you know, all my kids need is somebody to show up for them over and over and over again, no matter what, yeah. right? They've been taught that if they screw up, they'll be sent to another home. And so what we need is not just us to show up for them, but a community who keeps showing up. And that is the great thing is we have so many folks who just show up for our kids. We've got a couple front porch people, like one of them comes once a week and tutors our kid in algebra. You know, uh, they're just so committed to being a part of neighboring our kids uh, in a way that is 
is really unbelievable. But, you know, we see that all they need is people to show up for them over and over again, no matter what, and tell them they are valuable no matter what. But it's not that different from what everybody in this neighborhood needs, right? Everybody yeah. in this neighborhood needs somebody to keep showing up for them no matter what, to notice when they're not around, to check in on them, to, you know, find the ways that mutual connection and mutual relationship can help them to flourish. And so, you know, our kids are almost like a microcosm for this neighboring movement. Wow, yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. There was um it, my my memory's starting to fail me a little bit cuz when you and I early on when, not long after we first connected, um you had posted a story and I I don't remember the details, but it, it had to do with like a a pride flag um at your was it at your home or was it yeah, so outside of my garage, uh, we have uh, a pride flag and a Black Lives Matter flag. And uh, these flags are really important to me. I mean, they're they're both uh, three by five. Like, they are, like, out there and uh, full size. And, uh, you know, we're proud of them. And so I've got this neighbor across the street. She's, like, 87 years old. And uh, so Mary comes over to, and she's like, I've been meaning to talk to you about your flags. I'm like, immediately, like I'm bristling yeah, up, right? Yeah. Because these flags are part of what visibly show our kids that they belong here, right? That like we are with them and we see them and they belong here. So like, I'm ready to go on attack mode, right? When she's over here to talk about my flags. And she was like, they keep falling down. And, you know, then it triggers another thing in me because I'm like, oh, please talk to me about how much. Yes, I know. <laughs> I... I can't get anything right. I've got a lot of maintenance to do on my home, right? Like my lawn looks terrible too. Um, she's like, and so I got you these uh, because I thought that would help them to stand up because I can't read them. I can't read the flag when it's fallen down. And she had like eye hooks and carabiners for me That's to hang so my flag amazing. with. But don't get me wrong. Mary also put another thing on my to-do list because I had to like then put those up. <laughs> but, like, it was such a gift that and like this woman was not coming over here to like be an old lady who's angry about my flags. This lady was coming over here to be an old lady who is there to affirm my family and help us kind of get those established and up there and it was just this like beautiful thing to see that you know my son has a full drum set um our 15 year old he has a full drum set in the garage and if he hasn't played it in a while she'll come over and be like I haven't heard the drums in a while is he okay I really miss hearing the drums (laughs) like who are you (laughs) like it's the best right um we have one who does the drums and the other one um sings and when i say sings i mean uh he's really into uh death metal and punk right 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 um so he he screams um also uh they still won't be, let me be the guitar player or the bassist in their band which i'm a little bit salty about but well you know okay. you're grown you're not cool you're not cool I'm enough. like <laughs> i'm like i'm so cool <laughs> oh man no i just i love that story i just um like i I get this mental image of the little old lady saying, Hey, you kids get on my lawn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that's it. She was like, she was like, I, uh, I saw this sidewalk chalk 
did your kids do it? And I was like, I don't think so. And she was like, oh, because if they did, I wanted them to do more. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't want them to, you don't want them to draw things in chocolate outside your house. It's not going to be, it's not going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, when you first posted that, like, and, and you and I were just kind of starting to get to know each other then. And like, and I was trying to figure out what you were meant by this, this whole neighboring thing. Like to me, that was like a personification. Right. Yes. That, that's what it looks like when it's lived out in one person, you know. Mary was neighboring me by coming and like giving me things that are going to help keep those flags up and like affirm their identities. And, um, you know, I think so often, especially as a foster parent, people are like, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? And I'm like, I don't know, but I don't have the energy or time to figure out how you can help. And instead of doing that, she just was like, oh, I see this. And I know exactly yeah. what to do about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's doing the work, right? It's doing the work instead of asking the yeah. other person to do your work for you. Right. right. Which, and again, that's, that's one of those things that comes from our privileged position so often is, you know, we want, we want other people, we want to do the right thing, but we want somebody else to tell us what to do instead of doing the work on our own to, to figure it out and yeah. just go do it. Um, that's such an amazing story. And, yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like there are things that like, you're like, just do it. And then somebody's like, Oh, I bought you this. And you're like, Oh, I, that is a burden. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's a, there's a balance there, but yeah, it is absolutely like do the research. Don't put that on somebody else and then get it done. Like get to work. Right. Yeah. And that's, really like I think neighboring right is doing the work um and and the work isn't all it's not all hard right yeah some of it is like hanging out and being yourself right um and it takes practice yeah yeah but yeah it's it's the best and you know um in my house so my wife is a secular humanist um our 19 year old is a secular Buddhist. Our uh, 16 year old is a Satanist and our 15 year old um, thinks he wants to get baptized. And so we live this very crazy existence of all these different spaces. But like my 19 year old secular Buddhist daughter is like, Oh, remember front porch dinners. I can't wait till we can do that again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because that was a community where she was accepted completely. Like she wasn't asked to be something she wasn't. She wasn't asked to, I mean, I think I did make her wear a bra um, because the patriarchy is real. Mm, but yeah. other than that, uh, she's, she's like, oh, I get it. I'll wear a bra. Um, <laughs> uh, she didn't get it when she first moved in, but she's there now. Um, <laughs> you know but yeah it is just beautiful to be forming the kind of community that I hope my kids have right to be like a part of doing that that's incredible so what's next what's next for front porch mountain view what is next that's a Joe I don't know you tell me <laughs> no that's uh, the perfect so response because that's like that's how I live my life like uh, what's next is whatever the next logical thing to do is, you know, when the time comes to do it. No, we're kind of, we are ramping up our uh, activity and kind of opportunities to connect. Um, 
we're hoping to really make some kind of low barrier to entry service opportunities available, right? So I think um, people don't want to have to sign up for something, right? Like the moment I have to fill out a form mm. to volunteer, like, eh, I'm good. Not me so much as like people just younger than me, <laughs> like, mm, no thanks. And so, but, but people do want to help. People do want to do good. Um, they don't know how to access it. And so uh, making acts of neighboring easy and accessible is uh, kind of one of the things. So uh, I'm going to be looking for folks to help with diaper distribution. So uh, the Czech Family Resource Center that I mentioned my wife works for, they uh, distribute diapers to those who uh, might not be able to afford them. Uh, and so getting folks to kind of help with that and engage in that work and be present with people, um, helping people to uh, connect with other ways to serve. You know, there are opportunities uh, to cook meals for folks. Uh, and so those are becoming more available mm -hmm. as things open up more. Yeah. And so engaging with those things. And then like, we've also got some community events that uh, we're going to do this summer. We're going to have a, well, it, it's not technically a barbecue because I'm just buying hot dogs from Costco. Um, but it's a cookout. Uh, yeah, yeah cookout. <laughs> um, but we're going to do that on Memorial Day cool. and make that available to the community. And we're going to have an outdoor movie night and you know, just ways for the community to come together. I have uh, weaseled my way into being the secretary of the old mountain view neighborhood association which is just so you know it is the uh old white men uh association of downtown mountain view <laughs> more or less um so like my uh queer self with my like weird family is just busting in That's there awesome. but i've also become the uh ice cream social chair okay uh, for the old mountain view <laughs> association so i get to like plan this like really cool opportunity for people to come together and like just be neighbors yeah, right yeah. i think you know we are a backyard society and i'm trying to help us and front porch really the idea is like let's become a front porch society yeah, yeah. let's become a place where we are out in front of our houses, hanging out with each other and being a part of each other's lives. Yeah. I, I think one of the things I love most about everything that you've been talking about is there, there's not this, um, there's no recruitment agenda attached to it. Like so often when churches do things, you know, like, you know, neighboring sorts of activities, um, there's, there's sort of this, often unspoken, but still sort of a very real undercurrent of we're doing this because we'd really like you to come to us and be part of our, you know, congregation or whatever. And, and, and that can, like, there could be really good reasons. It's, it's not that they do that out of, you know, any kind of diabolical, uh, you know, yeah. kind of attitude, but, um, you know, rather than presuming that you know what's best for someone else by getting them to come and join your congregation or whatever, just going into it with the attitude of, I, I just want to be your neighbor. I, that's, that's my agenda. Yeah. And whatever grows organically from that is 
probably a God thing, right? And we don't even have to label it that. That's kind of right. that's kind of how the divine works. Yeah. Yeah, Joe, you know, one of the cool parts is that, so I'm a pastor at Los Altos United Methodist Church, which is like a well-established church with uh, pretty traditional worship. And I mean, traditional for the West Coast, which is, you know, so a little loosey-goosey, but we wear robes and the whole nine yards. Um, but they have released my time to do this. That's amazing. Right. And so I am employed as a pastor of that church. But they released me to do this, knowing that this is not none of the people I'm connecting with. Do we plan on sending to the Los Altos campus? Right. Yeah. Uh, we are doing something different here. And uh, for the most part, people are really down with that. They're like, oh, yeah, this is gospel work. Right. This is the work Jesus has called us to. It's not going to fill our pews. It's not going to. It's it's probably not going to fill our our bank accounts, right? right yeah, uh, but it is going to be life transforming work, and that's what we're about. Exactly, exactly. Great stuff, great stuff. So, where um, just to kind of wrap things up, we're getting close to the end of our time here. Um, if people want to find out more about Front Porch Mountain View or connect with you, um, how how can they do that? Yeah, check out frontporchmv.org. Or uh, we're Front Porch MV on Instagram and Facebook. You can see all our acts of neighboring. Uh, at least you can when uh, I'm doing a good job of keeping our social media page uh, <laughs> rolling. Um, and uh, yeah, you can, I will say, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm Sam Lewis, but you should know that uh, my Twitter feed is mostly like occasional church stuff and mostly like drag race Uh RuPaul's Drag Race related. Nice. <laughs> um, so eh, with the occasional like church joke, um, that's kind of, it's a, it's a, I have a weird Twitter feed. Um, oh, and, and Giants baseball. It's like baseball, drag race and uh, foster care and like maybe a little church thrown in there, there. There's like a whole other podcast on that intersectionality that we could talk about. Yeah, yeah right. Totally. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Sam, thank you so much um, for being part of the podcast here today. It's always great to talk with you. Um, looking forward to, to hopefully being able to conspire on some other projects going forward. Glad to have uh, made a friendship with you. And, uh, and thanks again for, for the neighboring work you're doing and for sharing it with the folks here at Accidental Tomatoes. Oh, this was a blast. Thanks so much. Thanks. I'm so grateful to Sam for, uh, for sitting down for that conversation with me. So sorry you missed out, Brandon. It was such, I know, it's it, it was such a good conversation. Really grateful to, um, to have Sam as part of our Pride Month celebration here at Accidental Tomatoes. As always, if you're interested in the content we are creating, and curating for the Accidental Tomatoes community, you can find us online at AccidentalTomatoes.com. And across the social, social media world, we are at Accidental Tomatoes. And if you have ideas or suggestions for future topics or guests for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. Uh, you can find us and contact us through our website. You can message us on social media or just send us an email at AccidentalTomatoes at gmail.com. And if you enjoy our podcast, please be sure to rate and review us on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. That will help other people find us and connect with our community and participate in the conversation. 
And if you'd like to support the work that we're doing here at Accidental Tomatoes, again, you can donate through Patreon, where your support helps us offset some of the expenses of producing content for our community. Just go to patreon.com slash accidental tomatoes to learn more. So until next time, keep on growing outside the fences and join us again for another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.